Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everybody, this is Mark Lindheimer and you're listening to Aging is Optional Radio. Here's the real mystery. How do adults like us, who maybe haven't taken the best care of ourselves throughout the years, but want to live long and healthy lives, how do we make changes to our lifestyle that will have a direct impact on our longevity so we can participate and enjoy our lives for much longer than we ever imagined? That's the burning question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Mark Lindheimer, and welcome to Aging is Optional Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. As I say in the intro, the main point of the podcast is to show adults like us who want to live long and healthy lives different strategies to do so. And to that point, I think you'll learn why I'm really excited to welcome Joey Walker to Aging is Optional Radio. Joey's business is based on his 25-year career in law enforcement, as well as his expertise as a 10th degree black belt in martial arts. These two disciplines form the basis of techniques and tactics that are practical, easy to apply, and effective against violent assailants. He's also the author of two books, Self-Defense Tactics and Techniques, as well as his most recent book, Shots Fired, Surviving an Active Shooter Assailant. Joey Walker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I'm always fascinated by incredibly successful people who have built businesses and personal brands, and I'm genuinely curious about the journey that they travel to get to where they are today. So can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where'd you grow up? What was it like? And who were some of your early influences? Well, I started off as a little snotty-nosed kid in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, had kind of a loud mouth and moved with my parents and family to Reno, Nevada. What a difference in culture. So as I moved here, I found that Reno crowd, specifically my peer group, did not subscribe to the same type of sense of humor that I had. And I found myself in a couple of altercations, physical altercations early on. So I thought, you know, I better try to do something. Otherwise, I'm going to continue to get beat up. So I started really training in martial arts at that time. That's incredible. How old were you? I was 13 years old and uh, thought that, you know, I had the world by the tail, so to speak. Little did I know that I was basically nothing but a soup sandwich. So you... You got into that mode, right, of protecting yourself, but you also, you know, started going down this path, you know, and how did that 
change for you? At what point did you realize that that direction is where you wanted to go? I was probably around 18 years old and I had moved to Las Vegas to continue my study of martial arts with one of my martial art masters. And I saw an old police series on television called The Rookies. And one of the victims in the crimes on the television episode was a little mentally retarded guy who was continuously being bullied by these couple of thugs. And I just was so incensed by that. I thought, you know, I've got to do something about that. So I started thinking, what kind of career could I choose that would help me to help victims? And I came upon police work. And so from there, I decided, you know, I think perhaps um, I was too young to look into any kind of a police career, but I knew that I could get some training with the military. So I joined the Nevada Army National Guard, 72nd Military Police Company, and went to military police school in Fort McCall, Alabama, in the 1975 time span. So upon completing that, I came back to Reno and uh, took a look at civilian law enforcement. And August of 1978 was hired by the Reno Police Department as a patrolman. That's amazing. You know, at that time when you got into the training, what was going through your mind? You know, what were the challenges you were facing at that time as you made the decision to go in that direction? Here you are, you know, in, in Nevada, right? Las Vegas and Reno. And now you're in Alabama, you know, you're going through training, probably pretty military style, right? Pretty heavy. What was going through your mind at that time? Did you have any second thoughts? Well, not necessarily second thoughts at that time. Uh, However, you can't tell unless you actually see my face, but I'm an African-American person. So with that, some of the challenges I received in the Alabama or Deep South, uh, 1975, I can tell you that racism was still alive. So moving back to Reno, Even though some people will say there's no racism here, I would say that sometimes it's very covert. And in a lot of towns these days, sometimes you may see racism, sometimes you may not. It depends upon who you are and how you care about your business and the people that you either surround yourself by or happenstance, be it in your surroundings. So seeing all of those kind of things presented challenges specifically in law enforcement, where I was even told that there were some places that you could not make an arrest or certain places that you couldn't go being an African-American law enforcement officer. But coming back to Reno and uh, looking at the police career, I had those challenges pretty much uh, answered. So I didn't have to deal with that as much. There were still issues I ran across. Wouldn't want to kid you with that, but I chose to deal with those in a totally different way. That's excellent. You know, to overcome that type of challenge, I think is you know, is instructive, but it also says a lot about you as a person. And how much of your martial arts background and training helped you in those types of situations, you know, as you went through your training in the Deep South and then coming back and committing yourself to your career, you know, how much did that intertwine for you? Oh, it was tremendous uh, help because one of the physical things I noticed right off the bat was just the physical presence of basic training and advanced training, uh, just in the push-ups, sit-ups, run, things of that nature. So all of those things really helped for my military uh, career. I should also say that in high school, I flourished in the ROTC category. So military to me wasn't that much a big of a transition. And actually, I received a lot of awards while I was back in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, uh, and having a great time in terms of learning how to adjust to the military lifestyle. Uh, that's so great. It it seems like you've had a lot of different influences, you know, both military uh, and the martial arts. 
were there any people besides those instructors, those early instructors that influenced you, you know, to become the man you became? Initially credit my high school English teacher, who when I was attending school in the Reno area, 1973, 74, I did not see myself as a person who had any educational uplifting opportunities, although that was my self-image. And this person, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, looked at me and said, you know, I think you've got more in you. And when she had a little bit more confidence in me and pushed me to be a better student, I actually surprised myself. And from that moment forward, that was the turning point in my educational and scholastic career. Now, that's incredible. You hear a lot about stories like that where, you know, the teachers are so influential in the lives of students. And, um, you know, I, I think it's amazing. It's such a, a gift that those uh, inspiring teachers, you know, I had, I had some of my own as we move forward, you know, and kind of turn the corner and make a commitment to, to do better and to achieve, you know, more of our potential. So you're in Reno, uh, you're in law enforcement. Obviously, you've had a long career. What are some of the other things that you did during that time? Were you competing in martial arts while you were in law enforcement? Or was it like, you know, one phase of your life into the other? Did they uh, intertwine? I don't think I could ever start one phase and then complete that. And then before I start the next phase, it's all intertwined. So here I am at approximately age 14, all the way up through um, approximately 1997 before I stopped competing. So I competed a lot to the point where I got to achieve two world championship titles in semi-contact karate competition and fought in those days some of the best martial artists that they were. That's amazing. So I can tell a little insight. One of my favorite all-time actors is Bruce Lee. Absolutely. You know, I grew up watching Bruce Lee movies. You know, turns out he actually had an incredible message that he imparted upon people on his short time on this earth and you're slightly older than I am, but you were in that era, you know, competing or, you know, a little before, a little after, were you aware of his influence at that time? When I was living in Chicago, the Green Hornet television series was very prevalent and I couldn't wait for the next week's episode. So that's probably the initial impetus for me, even looking at the martial arts to begin with. Once I saw how awesome that guy was and his high kicks and kicking to the face and even the Bruce Lee screams that he would do as he would manipulate some of the, the combatants that he had to deal with, those are the things that I really stuck with me, and I should say, and that kind of really pushed me towards training in martial arts even more so than the bullies that I dealt with moving to Reno. Oh, that's, that is so great. I love that. We could go on and on about, about that whole era and the movies and the influence. Let's turn back. You know. Did you have any kind of situation, you know, in your career and transitioning into what you're doing now, being an instructor, writing books? At what point did you start to go down that path? Was it after your career in law enforcement? Actually, almost. I saw responding to a variety of different violent crimes, specifically crimes against people for robberies, crimes against women for sexual assaults, homicides, things of that nature. And I often wondered, is there something that the victim could have done that could have prevented this horrible outcome? And if they just knew A, B, and C, perhaps they would have altered the course of their lives or their history. And so seeing that time and time and time again, that's one aspect. The second aspect is sometimes taking 
individuals into custody. And at that time, when I was a, a street cop, I was 147 pounds. And with a bulletproof vest on and my uniform, I looked a little beefier, but really 147 pounds. Why do I know that? Because that's the weight I was competing at. So I'm, I'm working out in, the, in the, my karate school. I'm teaching classes. I'm competing. I'm going to work five days a week and having to literally fight criminals. And so they would see me. And sometimes you would have individuals who you have to take into custody. And they would say, okay, yes, I'll go. I'll go to jail. And sometimes they weren't too happy to go and refused to go. And, and at times would tell me that, you know, that they gave me the big bird, except they'd say it with an F-U. And then next thing I know, they're either swinging or trying to kick me, at which point to me, it's like, oh, that is additional practice. So I get a chance to block their, their strikes and do whatever technique I did, take them down, handcuff them, and then take them to jail. And what's so great about that is that I had trained and honed my skills to the point where I didn't have to severely injure them. I could finesse them into what position I needed to have them in and take them into custody. So that was incredibly helpful. So from seeing how I saw the criminals interact with violent crimes and innocent victims, how they interacted towards me, I started looking at how can I help additional people? So I started putting crime prevention techniques together, even worked in the crime prevention section within the Reno Police Department and help people to see how they can avoid different types of crimes. I was looking through some old paperwork the other day and came across a memorandum that I had written my assistant chief of police back in 1995. And I asked at that time, actually it was earlier than 85, sorry. I asked at that time if I could interview, if I could go to the state prison and interview some of the serial sex offenders with the impetus of, or the, the expectation of getting information to find out what types of crimes they committed, what types of things the victims possibly could do to avoid being victimized or selected, and what they could do if they were selected to mitigate the kind of crimes to be able to get away from the person, or if they needed to severely injure the offender and then make their getaway, they would do that. So I came across that memorandum and thought, wow, I had forgotten that I even put that out there. But I started looking at it way back then. So now we fast forward to, I'd say, approximately 2001, 2002-ish. I'm on the police department still. I'm a lieutenant at that point. And I'm working graveyard shift. And there are times that I'm thinking, you know, I've got some downtime. What can I do? So I started putting a book together called Self-Defense Techniques and Tactics. And after putting that book together, it was published in 2003. And Shortly thereafter, uh, actually around the same time it was published and released is when I retired from the police department. That's incredible because you had a vision, you had an idea of a way you could serve people beyond the force that you were working in in Reno. And um, to have that memo and then proceed from there to write a book is, is really commendable. Once you wrote the book, and it sounds like it was towards the end of your career, what was your plan from there? What were you thinking, you know, can I, can I run with this? Should I retire? What were you thinking at the time? You know, can I make a business out of this? So what I did was I looked at the possibility of writing a book and my goals were, if I only sell two copies, one to me and one to my mother, then that's fine with me. I was able to do that and more. So I continuously moved forward with that. I then went to work for United States Homeland Security and worked that agency for about nine years. I started seeing at that time, we were looking at issues nationwide on active shooter. 
And let me back up because when I was on the police department, just prior to Columbine, I started seeing a lot of school shootings. And we started participating. And I think that I was one of the driving forces on the police department to actually start doing the active shooter defense training. That time we didn't call it active shooter, we just called it school shootings. So even though most police departments respond to a shooting call, usually one or two people maximum in terms of the number of victims, usually we didn't see mass shootings. So when you have 10, 15 individuals shot at one location, that was a, a, a fluke. That was something that's incredibly uh, abnormal. So we started responding to active shooter calls, school shooting calls, training. And then I left the police department, moved into Homeland Security, worked at agency for a while. And then I started seeing a plethora of information on active shooter defense. And a lot of it was information that was so incredibly wrong that I just, I would just literally cringe every time I would either hear something on the television, see it on the television or hear it on the radio where people were giving tactics such as if you see a person coming into an office environment and he's armed with a, a gun, start shooting, we want you to stand up and pick up a tape dispenser or a stapler and hurl it across the room at the shooter, hitting him in the head. And to me, what that says is in a practical sense, that tells the shooter, please shoot me next. Or we want you to stand up and make yourself big like a bear and growl. Well, again, that says, shoot me next. And then we went from there to hiding under office furniture. And one of the things I've saw with, with hiding under office furniture, that's the problem is that historically, and again, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit older than you, so I know that's first a fact. In elementary school, when I was in school, they taught us to hide under the desk for fear of a nuclear blast. And then as we got much, much older, then we were looking at hiding under the desk because of fear of an earthquake or tornado, depending upon which portion of the United States you lived in. And then we started looking at using that same desk for hiding underneath because of an active shooter. So when I teach classes specifically in law enforcement and are involved, I tell them those three things, using the desk for those three situations, if the desk was that powerful, you don't need a gun, just take a desk with you because it's crazy. Talk about insanity with, with being that you use the same, same technique and expecting different results. So it's gotta be done something different. So that's when I started taking a looking at how do we change the thought process? How do we get people to train differently so that they don't have those same issues so that we don't look at the numbers? And unfortunately, you always want to reduce the number of people that are either shot or fatalities in any kind of an active shooting situation. Yeah, it's, it's so timely, you know, especially over the last five to 10 years. You mentioned Columbine, but even since then, it's, it seemed to have es escalated. And, you know, having that knowledge, having, you know, that training or that awareness uh, of the right thing to do at the time, you know, if you're in that situation is so important. When you wrote that first book and you move forward from there, you know, what was your plan as far as, you know, getting you from then to where you are today? You know, what was your plan as far as starting a business, if you will? You sold the two books, right, to yourself right. and to your mom. So what was your plan to kind of grow this? Did it, did it evolve over time? Did you have a vision? Take me through that, you know, that course that you took from then to now. It's still slowly evolving because, again, I've, I've always had some sidetracks going on. 
I'm a semi-professional trumpet player. So a lot of my time is spent practicing trumpet and learning how to, to play even more efficiently. Uh, so between that and playing in a couple of groups that I've, I've done that for the last, I don't know how many years, but as far as the martial arts and as far as the safety business is concerned, I've done a variety of seminars. So sometimes I'll end up in a side branching off towards teaching more seminars and then coming back and then, okay, how do I start marketing more books? And then how do I start marketing my martial arts stuff? So it's, it's, it kind of goes in, in spurts and in different directions at times. <laughs> but let me share two more things with you. I've got two more things to share. Uh, I'll try to make them as quick as possible. The latest book was just published and it's called Disarm and Disable, The Active Shooter Defense Guide. And what I did with that book specifically was to do, to look at the 13 most significant active shootings that's occurred since my initial book, Shots Fired, was published. I start with the October 1, 2017 shooting that was in Las Vegas, Nevada. The last significant sniper shooting we had was 1966, University of Texas in Austin. So I share tactics on what people can do should they find themselves in a sniper style shooting. The last shooting that I covered in those 13 was out of Thailand where an individual kind of went off the deep end and killed two people on a military installation, fled that installation with a stolen vehicle, stolen ammunition, stolen weapons, and drove that vehicle to a shopping mall, seven-story shopping mall, where he went inside and killed a number of people. And so again, what people can do should they find themselves in similar situations. I also start listing the 16 deadly errors of an active shooter defense. Anything from training that's not provided, because sometimes you have companies that want to train, but they'll want to do a five-minute video. And so you can't save a person's life in a five-minute video. I'm sorry, you need to spend a lot more time and invest more time in that. Then the last portion of that is actually the physical portion of the, the techniques that shows people how to disarm and disable. I change the thought process, or I should say the parroting of run, hide, fight to run, hide, ambush, because that's exactly what you should do. And if, if anyone were to doubt that, just stop any street police officer, you call them street cops, stop any police officer on the street and say, excuse me, sir. If you found yourself in a similar situation, you did not have your weapon, for whatever the crazy reason is, and you were at your son's school, you were at the shopping mall, you were at this store, and a person started firing on the crowd, what would you do? They're not going to run up and try to tackle the guy, but they're going to try to figure out a way to ambush that guy as soon as possible. And if they had to use to, uh, we're going to use an improvised weapon, something in that area, it might be a fire extinguisher. It might be a rock. It might be something they can pick up, a, a piece of a brick of a building. So any of those types of things, a chair. And then the other project I'm working on, which is really, I think, uh, the next one that's going to take a lot of time is called Serial Defense. And I'm looking at the plethora of all the police shows that are on TV these days with all the serial murderers and serial rapists. And everyone always talks about the horrible crimes. This person did this and then he kidnapped six people and he did these horrible things over here. But no one ever talks about what any of the victims could do to defend themselves should they have been in those situations. So that's my next project and look for that coming out soon. I love it. I love it. You're so productive and you bring so much value. Can they find your books on your website or can they find them on Amazon? They can find them on amazon.com. They can also find them on my website. They can find them if they go to Archway Publishers. Pick one. Well, hopefully our exposure today is going to broaden your audience to people who are really interested 
in better strategies and approaches to their own safety and security and preparation. Um, so that that's really what I hope is is that our audience is going to have an opportunity to learn from you and grow in their awareness and apply that to their to their lives. You know, and how would they go about getting your information? How would they go about getting your books? Do you have a website? Uh, would you like to share that with any uh, with the audience? Sure. My website is disarmanddisable.com, all one word. The name of my business is called Leading Edge Threat Mitigation. And so between those two avenues, you should be able to find me easily. Excellent. Excellent. Your story is amazing. Everything you've accomplished in your life, you know, who knew you're a, you're a trumpet player as well, which, you know, is, is incredible. Well, that's so great, Joey. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your time with me today. I look forward to sharing your story with my audience and um, we'll help you grow your business and your reach uh, because you are truly providing a valuable service to the people out there that are uh, concerned about uh, legitimately uh, the threat to their lives and their person. So thank you very much, Joey. Thank you for hosting me. No matter your age, if you're thinking about your financial future, that's good. If you're not thinking about your debt, that can be bad. But the hardest part is figuring out where to start and how to track your progress, right? That's what I struggled with for years until I found the solution. So I created a special book called Living the Debt-Free Lifestyle to help you get on the right track. Interested? Go to crushthatdebt.net and download my free ebook now and learn how to crush all your debt faster than you ever dreamed possible. You can find the link in the show notes and on all of my social media accounts. That's crushthatdebt.net for my free ebook, Living the Debt-Free Lifestyle. Thanks again for joining me on Aging is Optional Radio. I hope you found some value in this episode. That's really my goal. You can find the podcast on iTunes, and I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and give it a rating. And I love reading your comments. You can also find it on all the podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and on social media. You can also reach me directly at mark at agingisoptionalradio.com if you have any questions or want to suggest any topics. Until next time, thanks, everybody. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.